0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: BELIEVE. This is The Art of Awesome, show number 155. Motivation is a resource and
0: it's finite. So we've all got motivation and we have it at certain times, but that it's a resource. You you think of it like a bucket. You can dip from the bucket of motivation, but if you don't fill the bucket back up, it will get empty. While the bucket is full, you have an opportunity to create habit. So if like for working out is a great example, if I am motivated to work out, say I got into CrossFit, I'm really into it. I'm part of the community. I'm motivated. I love the people. I'm really enjoying the workouts. You're motivated. Embrace that motivation, go full bore. Because by the time, like in you know six months, that motivation bucket's going to be empty. What you want to do in that time, in that six months, is develop habit. Hit it!
1: That's what I'm talking about!
0: Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it,
1: boys. Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration As we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Art of Awesome podcast. I am your host today, and and I guess always on the show. um, I am Nick Troteman, your host, and this is the show where we search for, what is it? We search for success. <laughs> I'm forgetting my, my intro. This is the show where we look for the secret sauce to success. That's what it is, the secret sauce to success, as well as the difference between the average and the awesome. And today, we may have uncovered some of that secret sauce as I got to sit down with a great friend of mine, Will Richardson. Will shares some incredible story of how he went from 250 pounds, living a somewhat unhealthy life, probably eating too much, drinking too much, and getting diagnosed with cancer, and how he turned that around, lost anywhere from 80 to 100 pounds, and now is in the best shape of his life, running races, running marathons. He's a personal trainer, and he really just shares a lot of incredible insight on the mentality of what it takes to make that change um, as well as a dive deep into taking action and saying yes to opportunity. Honestly this episode was filled with so many nuggets of gold. I've, I've said that often on this show but I'm not even sure if there's been an episode where we've had so much just great advice that you're able to implement into so many different aspects of life, whether it be health, whether it be fitness, whether it be athletics, um whether it be a monetary thing whether it be a relationship thing there's just so much advice in this show that can translate into everything in life i'm very very excited to share it with you guys so let's wait no longer and jump right into it here is hashtag thor Project, will richardson Cool. Well, first off, uh, Will, thank you so very much for joining me here on the Art of Awesome podcast. I'm actually stoked to talk with you all about your journey into health and fitness. But as far as podcasting goes, I I, I feel like you're no stranger to this. As you, on a side note, we're, used to be like a voice actor, right? How did that work?
0: Oh, man. Well, uh, first off, uh, Will Richardson, uh, big fan, uh, first-time caller. <laughs> Uh, no, I, so yeah, for, for, uh, when I graduated from university, I I was in, uh, the theater program, uh, that was, you know, basically my background is that I was an actor and went to university for acting. And then when I got out of university, it turns out I had a face for radio. So, uh, tend, tended to migrate towards voiceover acting jobs and, uh, Ottawa area had a big cartoon industry at that time. So I got to do a bunch of cartoons, that was sort of my my start in the acting world. And then, uh, yeah, then I, it turns out that being an actor is really expensive and you still have to pay the bills somehow. So it didn't really work out in the long run to be an actor for my whole life. But uh, somehow I managed to kind of weave in and out of the uh, of the theater slash
1: film world. Awesome. So you you go from being you know actor and into that whole film world. Where does that bring you? Like, what's the journey from there to where you are now? Because now you're kind of like this. You're a personal trainer, correct? You're like a, a fitness guy. You're a you nutritionalist is it nutritionist. What, what do you? I I'm
0: a, I'm a, well, I'm a nutritional coach. So that's that's okay. that's like really you know in the broad spectrum of things. One I, I, I am interested in teaching people fitness, but I do it from the aspect of helping people get to the their, their the, the body weight and goals nutritionally that they want to do. So a nutritionist is sort of medically it's, it, that's a medical de- designation. That takes you know years of training to become one. Um, and you can't you know as a nutrition coach, you definitely can't call yourself a nutritionist. Um, But to to go back to your original question, um, I I always live by a philosophy of um, just say yes when opportunities come your way. And I was uh, so the the long path is that I started as a a restaurant waiter and bartender, you know, worked my way up to management, thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life. Thought I would never be involved in in acting or film ever again Um, when uh, I lucked into a writing job with a software company. And it was one of those opportunities. A guy was coming to my regular, my restaurant was like, Oh man, we really need a writer. Do you know anybody? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. And um, kind of faked it till I made it and did okay at that. I had, you know, I had some English background and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't a big stretch and I'd done some script writing, so it wasn't a huge stretch. And then, you know, we were looking to turn all those scripts into little film pieces for that, for that, project we were doing and they were like do you know anybody that makes films and I was like yeah I'll do it you know and and so I apprenticed to a guy got really lucky they paid for me to do a bit of an apprenticeship apprentice to a filmmaker learned how to use all the newest hottest editing software um and then uh, James Macbeth who's the head of marketing for Jackson Kayak knew these guys out in Beachburg uh who you know you may have been there um the Beachburg Ontario it's like the mecca of uh, whitewater in in Ontario they knew these guys these whitewater guys who were looking for somebody to cut and edit together their whitewater pieces at this place called the Heliconia Press and uh, James was like do you know anybody who'd be interested in doing that job and I was like yeah I'll do it and uh, so you know never having whitewater kayaked in my entire life and still not really having whitewater kayaked in my entire life I followed Ken Whiting around for uh, 10 odd years making uh, whitewater films that eventually turned into a television series for a kayak fishing show. Once again, Ken was like, do you know anybody that knows how to make a television series? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I didn't have any right to say yes to any of these things along the way. Um, and then I finally retired a few years ago, uh, mainly because of health. Um, being on the road eight months out of a year just te- taxes anybody's um, body and spirit and soul, and I uh, wanted to do something different. And luckily, James came back and was like, "Hey, man, if you're not doing anything, um, we could, you know, we could use you over at Jackson Kayak." And and Jackson Kayak is definitely one of those places where you just have an opportunity to say, "Yeah, I'll do it over and over again, and do new jobs every other day." So now I'm doing completely new jobs, and then uh, we'll get into the deeper, darker story of what led me to you know finding my health, but. You know, by that point, I was 250 pounds. Probably drank a couple bottles bottles of wine a day, as us as that industry kind of the fishing industry kind of does to you. you drink a lot of beer, spend a lot of time on the road, and uh, yeah, my health had taken a turn for the worse,
1: and that kind of led me to where I am today. One, I I love the mentality of yeah, I'll do it, or just like saying yes to opportunity. And man, we could just dive deep into that whole kind of ideal or, or just outlook of life maybe. Um, And so I I definitely also want to talk about that, but I I do want to talk about your, your kind of health and fitness story too. As far as just saying yes, like, did you do this? But like always, was this something that like you, you kind of stumbled upon or just in, in your entire life were you just always the guy that would kind of like the yes man say yes to anything.
0: Well, it's, it's to a degree. I mean, I have always had a pretty big ego about my abilities and skills, uh, I guess, for lack of a better thing, better way to say it. But I, I like learning new things and I love getting moderately mediocre at a new skill. And I think that's part of part of it. So you can't really learn a new skill unless you're willing to take risks, learn to jump into something new and willing to make those mistakes and willing to admit like, hey, I'm not going to be an expert on this, but I'm going to try my hardest to learn how to do it. And if it doesn't work for you, you can always find somebody else. You know, if you go in with that kind of like, hey, I'll do my best here. Generally, you know, people are pretty happy with you just working, working hard at something and applying yourself. And, you know, you make mistakes. And yeah, sometimes you're not going to be very good at whatever it is. And admittedly, I take a look back at some of the original stuff we did um, for film stuff back at, you know, God, 25, 20 years ago now, and it's not very good, but you have to make those mistakes. And that, that's part of it. And have I always been this way? Yeah. But probably just because my ego won't let me admit that I don't know how
1: to do something. I love that. I, I think there's something to be said about, I mean, I, I probably ha- uh, struggle with a similar like mentality of like, Oh yeah. I mean, talking with Emily like I'll say like oh yeah I could do that I mean I, I have this idea the same idea of like yeah I could do anything I mean if I if I apply myself like yeah maybe I can't do it very well yet or at all but if I like actually study it or like get good at it or have any desire to want to you know take on pretty much anything I believe that I, it's possible, you know, it might take me 20 years to be proficient at whatever it is, but if I was really dedicated and then like for whatever reason I had that goal that it's like, and the desire to like, just stay at it for 20 years. I'm like, I really want to become, you know, whatever it is that the world's best NASCAR driver or, or basket knitter or like, like whatever, like some random thing where I'm like, um, yeah i mean it would take i i i love that idea that
0: it's well what's scary about it is, is it's like uh it's like the guy who cheats on his wife but gets away with it right so he keeps doing it. it the the problem with having a mentality like that is once you do once you just dive head first into something and work your ass off to succeed at it or or just apply yourself really hard to succeed at it the and and it, the problem is is you realize really quickly that it's it's not that hard to apply yourself. It just, it's, it takes time and risk and a ton of effort and mistakes and, and, you know, it's harrowing, but it's addictive because then you realize, well, if I can succeed at that, as long as I'm willing to apply pressure, I can succeed again. And, and the problem is, is you, like, and I'll tell people out here who, who are avoiding the hard things, right? And that is my motto is do hard things. It, those people who are avoiding the hard things because they're worried they're going to fail the funny thing is is that it's pretty rare that you fail
1: so bad <laughs> that it hurts you know right yeah and and uh a it it hurts sometimes, but it also like you you have to have like a little bit of idea of like well, and this is the whole like risk versus reward mentality and stuff like that, and and I talk about this as well. But you don't want to be doing something that's going to give you like total ruin, whether it's you know life or death or just like financial ruin or or any of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like there's actually very few things that that are to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like. like There's so much risk and so much opportunity that we could take if we just applied ourselves and actually went in that direction. Um, And and just saying yes to opportunity more often than not is Probably the right answer. Like it, it really is, and and I remind myself of that often. Even if it's just like to go kayaking, do you know what I mean? Like how often, like someone's like, hey, do you want to go paddle or whatever? And and even on the days where maybe for whatever reason it's cold or it's you know dark out or like whatever, like I have no idea why, but like I'm just not feeling it. I just I remind myself like it's gonna be worth it. Like just say yes. Like no, the the opportunity is always gonna outweigh you know whatever the uh, the demons of the mind or like the doubt or, or whatever you're thinking. Or look at it,
0: look at it the other direction, look at it the other direction where the regret is always going to be worse.
1: Yes. It's
0: I, for me, it's the regret of not doing something when I had the opportunity to do it. Like let's it's it's so I I dove with Marlin, for example. And to this day, I kind of shake my head that I was at, like, I, I had zero safety equipment. You know, diving with just a camera not even wearing a PFD <laughs> while there's a hot marlin in the water and probably sharks not that far away with blood in the water and everything else. And I was like, shiver at the thought that I was stupid enough to do that in my 20s. But do I regret it? Absolutely not. Would I regret it now if I hadn't done it? Would I be sitting there going, oh, I just wish I, I oh, that would have been so cool. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah probably would, you know, and the regret's always worth, the regret is way
1: worse. (laughs) Yeah. No, the weight of regret for sure. Gosh, I, man, thinking about that, I try to avoid those scenarios. I really do. I try to avoid regret and there's definitely things, you know, there's always things that I'm like, oh, I wish I would have done that or I should have done that. But, but more than anything, I try to live a lifestyle where I, I don't have that regret. And, as far as lifestyle goes, I mean, I want to. I also want to dive into this this lifestyle change that you made. So you're talking about being this yes man, saying yes to tons of opportunity. You're on the road, traveling around, making TV shows, filming videos with with Ken Whiting and the Heliconia Media. Um, and you were saying that at one point you were up to like 250. Is that is that what you said? 250 pounds. Um, yeah, and-
0: somewhere somewhere in there, man. I mean I'll admit that I, I had not weighed myself in a long time. Like it was scary. I know like so I you know I, I've been doing all this and then I I, I had uh, retired and gone, gone become a contractor for the Heliconia press because I wanted to spend less time on the road. I hadn't seen wait my wife and I had just bought a new house. I hadn't really spent that much time at home and I told Ken I'm like, hey man, like really? love my job it's great but I want to spend some more time at home so why don't I become a contractor you contract me out when you need me and then I can do some other odd jobs to kind of fill in the blank so I started working for Jackson at that time as a contractor as well so I worked like halftime for Jackson and then I would go on the road for helipress when they needed me Um, but it was funny because the very first year in combination with doing stuff for Jackson and doing the stuff for heliconia I ended up being on the road more like way more (laughs) <laughs> and that also came with like it also came with a weird thing that I didn't realize. I thought it would be really easy with my experience when I left Heli Press to just get another job. Like I, I figured I'd have people breaking down my door to get me working for them because I had years of experience doing a television show and. Um, You know, everybody had always told me, oh, man, you know, it's you you're going to have the easiest time finding other gigs afterwards. My other cameraman buddies, because I had done stuff for Fox, I had done stuff for NBC Sports. And it was like this. It should have been easy. But it turned out it wasn't. So all of a sudden the world just closed on me after I left Heliconia, like I applied for other gigs and none, none of them happened. I tried to get other movies off the ground and none of them happened. And it was this grind of about like six months. And then I finally took the job, job with Jackson because I just couldn't get anything off the ground. And then everything spiraled with Heliconia where we got so much extra work. And there was no other that Ken only had a couple camera people at that time. So I just ended up on the road all the time. And I, what I didn't know at that time, because it was very hard to acknowledge it was that I had started going down the path of depression. And I, I, I you know, I'll admit to it. I was probably pretty deep into it by the time Um, By the time things really came to a head and uh, everything really kind of blew up on a trip to Panama three, almost four years ago now, where uh, uh, there was the first time I had been photographed. And I think that that's a, a pretty normal thing for most people, especially when they're behind the camera all the time that you don't see yourself at all, because I was always taking pictures of other people. I was always filming other people. and Very rarely do people take pictures of the camera guy. Well. was the first time I was in front of the camera and then all the photos and videos started coming back from that trip and uh uh, and I couldn't like I didn't recognize myself I was like my face just looked sickly and and uh that was I was like I'm gonna get in shape at the exact same time so right about the middle of that Panama trip I passed a kidney stone and I don't know if anybody's ever paid if you've passed a kidney stone or you know anybody who's passed a kidney stone but my God, it is the most painful thing. Like I've gone through surgeries and they were less painful than passing a kidney stone. It was horrible. And uh, I went to the hospital. So I came home, was lying in bed. And kidney stone, when you're passing it, it it's super painful for short periods of time. And uh, I would go through like a day where I was fine and then like two hours where I was in super bad pain. Well, I, like the morning or two after I got home, I told my wife, I'm going to get I'm going to get in shape, honey. I uh, went to go. I did CrossFit for the first time with a buddy of mine. And that must have loosened the stone. Woke up the next morning, doubled over in pain. And I turned to my wife and said, I'm, I'm just going to drive myself to the hospital and get checked out because this isn't right. Didn't know what was wrong. Um, but, yeah, it turns out I was passing kidney stone. and They were like, oh, here's some here's some drugs to take away the pain and uh, strain your pee for the next day and hopefully the kidney stone will come out but we need to do an ultrasound after you pass it because uh, we need to make sure that it hasn't damaged anything on the way out well i go into the ultrasound room and in true form i'm you know joking around with the ultrasound technician oh oh hey uh, you know is it a boy or a girl this and i'm sure it was like the same joke that they'd heard 34 times already today from other men And they start doing the ultrasound and they're laughing. And we get to talking about fishing because the one girl, she's an avid fisherman. And we're talking about kayak fishing. The same same conversation I've had a million times with people. And then all of a sudden it got deathly quiet in the ultrasound room. The two technicians just clammed up and stopped laughing. And then I was like, that's weird. I wonder what's up. So I'm asking like, hey, is everything okay? And they're like, yep. We just had to take a few pictures. So they took a few pictures and then they sent me to a little room to wait. And they're like, we're just gonna send you this room to wait um, for the doctor to look at your ultrasound pictures. I'm like, okay, cool. And as I'm lying there, the doctor that had been treating me comes walking by, he's like, hey, what are you still doing here? And I'm like, uh, waiting for, apparently the ultrasound ticket just told me to wait here. And he's like, oh no, no, you don't have to do that. You can go home. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I get dressed, go home. And within 10 minutes of me getting home, the phone rings and it's the doctor. And he's like, "Hey, yeah, we shouldn't have sent you home. Can you come back in?" And I'm like, "Sure. What's up?" And he's like, "There's some there's some problems with your ultrasound." And I'm like, "Whoa, well, what's the problem?" And then that's like within within two or three hours, they had diagnosed cancer. So it was like, "You have you definitely have kidney cancer, and we're pretty sure you have liver cancer, but we're not 100 sure on both. We need to do some more tests. I got about 10 more screening." The cool thing about the Canadian medical system is that if it's something minor our Canadian medical, you're, you're, you're not a priority though. Like you could have a cut and you could be bleeding for a while. They'll sew you up and it'll take a while. Cancer, on the other hand, they take super serious. And so like within two days, I was diagnosed and like started through the system. Luckily, it wasn't liver cancer. Um, liver cancer would have been like about a two year life prognosis. Um, kidney cancer on the other hand is rare in a person my age but most people die before it kills them so they want to remove it to make sure it doesn't metastasize but you have cancer and i'm like well, what gave me cancer like we don't really know but probably your health like probably the fact that you have (laughs) you weigh a lot for your size and probably for the you know the fact that you don't really work out at all and how much do you drink and i'm like well I'm not drinking right now. Um, all those things, and like, yeah, you just you know, lifestyle. If you change it, you know, things could you know, you probably won't get anything like this again. And that's really where the turning point happened. And cancers, there's a lot to be said about a cancer diagnosis and what it does to the human mind. Um, it's a it's a part of it's a PTSD causing type of thing. Some things that cancer survivors won't tell you that I will be happy to tell you about is that. The biggest problem is is for the rest of your life you now assume that it could happen again so you go through waves of panic um that's really hard to explain to people because imagine something that you can't see you can't feel you don't know anything about you could have growing in you right now well most people don't panic about something like that because they think that they'll feel it that they'll get sick i had no idea if it hadn't have been for that kidney stone, they never would have figured out that I had cancer. It was in the other kidney. It wasn't even in the same kidney. So if you think about that, that, that there's, a, there's that really weird thing and that now you're always scared you're gonna be sick. And you go through, you know, you'll go they'll get tests and they'll, g- they'll give you a clear bill of health and you'll be like, cool, great. And you'll go for like two or three months where you're like, I have a clear bill of health. I'll be fine. I don't have cancer right now. But three or four, or five, six months later, that starts to sneak back in. Um, so that's that's part of the reason why. And that you can go one way or the other. You can let it kill you, or you can let it let it motivate you. You can let it drive you. And I let it. I let the anger and the the fear and the frustration of cancer. I was. I made a really cognizant decision to let it drive me to to change my life and to be better than I had been before, and in in a large way, become selfish. And I'll talk about that probably more later, but that's it's a hard thing to understand that being fit and being this dedicated to your personal fitness and trying to become an athlete is in so many ways, one of the most selfish acts you'll ever take. Everybody will try to stop you. <laughs> does that make sense? Um, because because people will be like, "You're taking time away from everything else in your life. You're taking time away from work. You're taking time away from your family." Um, to to become a fit person, it takes time. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a super selfish act, and and um, but one of the best selfish acts you can ever take because it does do more in the long run than it takes away.
1: Yeah, and I I wanted to. I'll dive into the the whole selfish part. If well there's there's
0: a whole there's a whole there's a whole thing that I like to go in about that too, right? So there's there's two things you got to remember. One, motivation is a resource and it's finite. So we've all got motivation and we have it at certain times. But that it's a resource. You you think of it like a bucket. You can dip from the bucket of motivation, but if you don't fill the bucket back up, it will get empty. While the bucket is full, you have an opportunity to create habit so if like for working out is a great example if i am motivated to work out say i got into crossfit i'm really into it i'm part of the community i'm motivated i love the people i'm really enjoying the workouts you're motivated embrace that motivation go full bore because by the time like in you know six months that motivation bucket's going to be empty what you want to do in that time, in that six months, is develop habit. Mm. While you're motivated, build habits. Build good habits. Go, go to the gym at exactly the same time every day. Four o'clock, I go to the gym. I work out for one hour. I've learned to love it. I've, it it's become part of my routine. Now that it's part of my routine, I feel weird not doing it. That's what will get you through When the bucket is empty. So you talk about that day that you're not feeling it. That's when the bucket's empty. That's when you're like, I just can't do it anymore. I've been working out for six years solid, still haven't reached my goal of whatever crazy goal I've come up with. But it also feels weird not going to the gym. So I'm going to go to the gym and keep hitting it every day at four o'clock. That's where the habit comes in. Eventually, the bucket will get refilled, you'll find new motivation, you'll find something that does motivate you to go back to the to, to go to the gym every day. And that, you know, that cycle continues. But that's it. The, you know, use the motivation while you've got it to form the habits, and just be strict about the habits. And that's, I think, so this goes to actually, I learned this kind of from you and from Emily. And, Um, From talking with other athletes who are devoted, dedicated athletes, one of the things that most people don't understand about dedicated athletes that I didn't understand either is that natural talent is actually only like 1% of what makes an athlete good. Most really good athletes also have this like bizarre drive and determination, this eye of the tiger stuff that most people don't have that drives them to be perfect at something, whatever it is. Now, they, those people have become athletes, but it, can, it also applies to other things. Like they could become a great painter. They could become a great whatever. It's whatever, you know, turns their crank. That's what they get really good at. For a great athlete, the thing that made them super motivated was they were probably good at it in the beginning. That's where that, you know, a little bit of, of, you know, of talent comes from. They were good at the beginning, everybody cheered them on, so they kept doing it. But the rest of it, that 98%, that's time. That's time and determination, obsessive compulsive need to do whatever it is over and over again and perfect it. When I watch uh, like you and Emily, Ken Whiting, EJ, all these really great whitewater athletes go and beat themselves up in a river hour after hour, wait in line at a wave, waiting for the next person to go so that they can go rip themselves up again for five seconds and get flushed. There's an eye of the tiger thing there, right? There's like a need to do it over and over again until you get it perfect. Most people don't have that. If you can take a lesson from that, go, oh, wait a second. So the real math here is that if I want to get good at something, only 1%, 1, 2% of it is talent. The rest of it is just time and dedication. That means anybody, absolutely anybody could do anything. Talent is meaningless because that 98%, that's going to take you to the finish line most of the time. Yeah, there might be one guy better than you, two guys better than you at any race or at anything but that's cuz they had that 1% that you didn't have. Guess what? Most of the time, those guys aren't going to be there. You you're going to win that race. So yeah. that's
1: the that's that second part. Anyway, I, I, <laughs> I went I, deep dive on that. No, I love that and I love how it really we talk about how you you and I both had that ego thing at the start of this conversation talking about how we we both probably feel like we could do anything and I think it comes With the realization of exactly what you just said, it doesn't have to do with talent. Yeah, sure. Talent exists for, you know, some people and a very, very small percentage. People don't realize that Tom Brady was like the last draft pick, like he, and he was like the third tier quarterback or like whatever it was like, he wasn't that good, but clearly he was dedicated to his craft, and then through dedication and time and practice, and again, to clarify, I'm no Tom Brady expert or whatever, <laughs> so I'm sure I'm getting these these facts a little bit construed, but the fact being... It was through the time and effort and practice that made him into the greatest. Do you know what I mean? And and it's the same with with people don't realize. Yeah, Tiger Woods, he wasn't born good at golf. You know what it was? He started playing golf when he was one. He started swinging golf clubs at one years old. Same with Serena Williams. She wasn't born good at tennis. Guess what? She started playing at like the age of three or whatever it was. And and Dane Jackson, the greatest, in my opinion, arguably the greatest, and I don't even think it's that arguable, but greatest whitewater paddler of all time. Yeah, dude, he started paddling, I think, at one years old. And I think he got like, like ran his first waterfall at four. Like it was like an eight footer or a 10 footer or something like that. But the the point being that it it really. Talent plus opportunity, right? Like Dane had an opportunity to start paddling younger
0: than everybody else, Right. There's not a lot of people that had a, you know, Emily and 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 Dane had a boat designed for them so that they could start paddling younger than anybody else on the planet. Right. That's opportunity mm-hmm. plus some genetics because they were born to a paddling, you know, they were born from a paddling family that that had some genetics plus having a, basically coaching on hand. That's mm-hmm. opportunity plus a tiny bit of talent plus more time <laughs>
1: Yeah. Than most people get anyway sorry no and, and, and i think i think too often people people it's easy to um excuse the talent and the genetics do you know what i mean where it's like yeah well he was he was born into it you know he's the son of EJ. it's like no dude trust me i would bet all the money that i have that it has very little almost nothing to do with the fact that he was you know Genetically, the son of EJ. I bet it has to do. I think there's a huge amount the fact that he was the son, in the sense that like EJ trained him and molded him, and he had the opportunity to learn and go to the river as much as he did. But as far as like the actual genome that he, like his DNA, I don't think that really has to do with anything. I think it really has all to do with the opportunity and the fact that he was extremely dedicated and just like absolutely obsessed with paneling. And and I, I will
0: me- say, I will say the one genetic component that I think they both got is hyper-competitiveness.
1: Yeah, probably. <laughs> but that's probably.
0: also, you know, nature, nurture, right. that family is hyper-competitive. Like right. I, I've never had anybody be like, hey, wanna play ping pong so I can completely kick your ass? <laughs> and I'd and be like, it, not really. It's-
1: yeah, but not not just play ping pong, but it's like, let's play ping pong let's play ping pong a hundred games and we'll see like who, who wins the the, out of the top 100. And then we'll do that again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And then we'll go play Frisbee golf and then we'll go play bocce ball, and whatever. It's just that, that
0: might be what he got from, from that, that may have been the trickle down, whether it's nature, nurture, whatever, but, but that anyway, to go, to go the other way. Yeah. People put so much stock into talent. I hear it all the time. Well, I'm not, I'm not an athlete. I'm not talented. And I thought this too. So, so to, to apply this, right. So I was a pretty chubby kid. Like I, I weighed 180 pretty much in grade seven or eight right up into my twenties. Um, so I had, I had been uh, I had done some sort of athletics sort of athletic stuff. But it was artistic stuff when I was a kid. Um, but I, I had gotten out of that habit and I was a pretty chubby kid through most of my, my youth. I never ran track because the one time I ran track, a bunch of the bully, you know, the bigger kids made fun of me. Um, and they'd like, I was pokey or whatever. And I, I never did it again. I thought, and I said this my whole life, I'm naturally fluffy and I'm not athletic. I, I float would be, you know, things like that. I, I spent my whole life thinking that, saying that. It wasn't until I was in my 20s, and I uh, met my wife, and she was really into running, and she got me running. And she got me running to help me get in shape because I was just, I had been a smoker, uh, had just got out of working bars for most of my life. I was not in great health, not in great shape. Then she got me in shape um, because I was working this job where I was going to go do whitewater with whitewater guys. So I better be partially in shape. Um, and like within six months, I was thrown up like I was thrown up really good times for a guy that was not athletic. And that's when I learned all of that was an excuse I had made to make up for my lack of motivation and my, my lack of willingness to try. Um, it gave me a really good way to, to say, oh, I'm, I'm not talented or I couldn't do that. Well, I was talented at a lot of other things. And all of the only reason why I was talented at those other things is because I applied myself and obsessed over them. It's the same thing with athletics. And now, you know, I'm, I'm still I'm not going to be a, the greatest runner on the face of the planet, but I love it and I keep getting better. And it's the first time in my life that I realized and, and this is that regret we talked about before, like I regret not running as a kid. I regret not running track and field as a kid. If I had run track and field when I was, you know, 15 and knew what I know my body is capable of now, then, oh man, like talk about regrets, right? Like I would have been a different human being, but then again, you can't, you know, you can't regret everything, but that's that, that thing, right? Like I, for the first time in my life, I consider myself an athlete. And if you want to talk about what drives me now versus what drove me three years ago to change my life, what drives me now is that I'm not the fat kid anymore. I'm I'm not, I, I don't have the group of bullies standing on the hill at the track yelling, run, fat boy, run, which they did, which stopped me from ever wanting to be an athletic kid. All those excuses are gone, and now I realize. I could have been that thing I wanted to be my whole life. The only thing stopping me was my excuses.
1: I would, I would even add to that and just say, not only could you have been that, but, but you are that right now. Uh, And there was something in there that you said how you were successful at other things and you were only successful at other things because you applied yourself in those areas and you obsessed over those areas. I think that's what, Success really, it's, it's, it truly is one of the keys to success. I mean, clearly health and fitness has something that you have applied yourself to and obsessed over in the last couple of years. And you have become this phenomenal athlete. There was one other thing in there that you had mentioned that, that I just wanted to add my two cents to. You said something, because we're just talking about self-talk, right? There is, I mean, that's just a, an application to all of this. When you were, you know, in, in your childhood, yes, you had maybe these bullies and these people, you know, saying, run, fat boy, run, or or whatever. But you also then, what that does is that feeds that self-talk t- into your own, you know, Yeah, you internalize of, it you, yeah, of, and it oh. becomes
0: something that becomes like it rolls around in your head forever. Right.
1: right. And, and, and so you're, you're saying I'm not an athlete as, as a, in your youth. Um, you just to correct something, cause, cause I see this huge shift from, you know, who, who you used to be to who you are now. Um, but you did say, you know, I'm an athlete and you're getting faster and faster and progressing better and better every day, which I love that mentality and I love just the idea of continually trying to grow and be better, better than you were yesterday. But you said um, I'm gonna be or I am a runner, but uh, I'm not gonna be the fastest runner or I'm not gonna be you know whatever. I would correct that and I would say. You can be the fastest runner if you want to be the fastest runner. I, I, I think I, as a ma-
0: as a masters athlete, I think there'll I, I have potential as a masters 100%. athlete.
1: And and I guess that's where I was going with it. Yeah, is that like just don't don't give up. Like, yeah, you you want to win a national championship at running? Go for it. Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's not next year. May, like, who knows how many years it is down the line? But it it kind of goes back to that whole idea of like just the the pie in the sky idea of me being a NASCAR driver. It's like. Unlikely that I'm going to want to dedicate my time and effort to that. But if I did, I don't know. Could could there be a master's class for NASCAR? Like who 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 knows? Do you know what I mean?
0: I like to think of it so the Boston Marathon. I don't know if anybody understands how the Boston Marathon works, but they have a cutoff time. So you have to qualify at another marathon under a certain amount of time to qualify for Boston, right? And so here's the trick to qualifying for Boston: patience, because every age bracket that qualifying time opens up. So like, as long as I try to qualify when I'm 80, I got no problem. I mean, it's pretty wide open by that point. So I like to think of like running like that, right? Like I may not be the fastest now, but see other people are gonna stop running. Right, yeah. (laughs) And I'm not gonna, That's, that's the trick to my success. Gold medals will come
1: maybe in my 90s <laughs> i i love that mentality will i love this conversation i love i just i love your idea to to say yes to all opportunity that comes your way and no matter what to just go for it and learn and and put in that effort and that dedication and that motivation uh, I feel like I could talk with you about this forever, Will. Um probably cause... maybe
0: someday we'll do like a second podcast where we talk about nutrition.
1: We will, <laughs> I know. We didn't even get into nutrition. We will actually I'm, I'm gonna have to bring you back on because I would love to learn all about what you're doing um with nutrition and all that kind of stuff. Because I find I find they go hand in hand, health and nutrition. And oh 100
0: percent As an
1: athlete myself, you know, I I try to um I try to have as much, you know, arm myself with as much knowledge as I can in all different aspects. I think, you know, you've got your training as as one kind of, you know, weapon. You've got you've got your nutrition and your physical body. You've got your mentality. I think the mentality as far as athletics goes is um, arguably one of the least um exp- like where people don't put as much weight to how much that has to do with- Men- Mental things, uh,
0: mental mental drive as I've learned with, with athletics in particular, you have to have this like laser focused, you have to set your goals and you have to be laser focused on those goals. And as I, we talked about it being very selfish at the very beginning, and I'm gonna return to that. Being a, a real athlete, being a dedicated athlete, and you know this, Emily and I have talked about this extensively, is extremely it feels extremely selfish and in a lot of ways it is an extremely selfish endeavor because you have to be so laser focused on your own goals and demand support from everybody else around you and surround yourself with support in order to accomplish those goals there's no other way to do it i'm a huge proponent of coaching uh i understand the value of a coach i have an incredible coach that got me through all of this Um, Elsie Yawns, her name. Um, she's got a great business, Rat Pack, um, uh, Rat Pack performance. If anybody is looking for a really amazing weightlifting, running, um, and weight loss coach for that matter, uh, or athletic uh, nutrition coach, um, but I believe that you know, I couldn't have done it without good coaching. And um, to go one step backwards, do we talked about um, being good at things and wanting to get good at things? I always took one step that I feel like most people don't take. Every time I wanted to learn a new skill, I went and got somebody who knew how to do it and to teach me how to do it. So like I wanted to learn how to play the banjo, for example. I didn't try to like research how to play the banjo on YouTube. I didn't go and learn a bunch of how to play banjo chords from a book. I went and hired a coach. I went and hired a teacher to teach me. And the teacher took me from zero to 30 in a couple of weeks. If I had tried to do it all on my own by books, I never would have got there. And I apply that to everything. So when it comes to running, what do I do when I want to become a runner? If I want to become a better runner, yeah, I could just go run every day. I could read up articles on the internet. I could learn about it from a myriad of sources on my own, but there is nothing, nothing like hiring a coach or, or finding a mentor and i believe that that is that last piece of the puzzle that most people forget about so you can be you can be motivated you can build good habits you can have the drive you can can laser focus yourself on the goals but you are limited until you go and mentor yourself to somebody that knows better or have somebody to tell you how to do things right or to watch you do it and point out where it's going wrong make those minute changes. You, we as human beings are almost incapable of doing that ourselves, looking from the outside, you know, and looking at ourselves and go, you know, this, I'm sure, Nick, you need to have a person there to say, yeah, your tricksy loo spinny dip on the water was a little bit to the left. And if you just shifted your weight to the right a little bit, you're going to improve. And you're like, ah, oh, that's all I needed to know. And it's all these, these mind blowing moments come from good mentorship and good coaching. And that's yeah. that last piece of the puzzle I wanted to kind of insert into
1: it. I love that. I, I think it's again another one that in recent years has probably become a lot more popular, but um, but still somewhat underrated is just the power of a coach. And again, I think the be- age of YouTube I think
0: the age of YouTube is actually kind of hurting it. I mean, it does there is a lot of people that are like I, I think people who are knowledgeable mm-hmm. know that. But then there's a lot of people that's like in the age of YouTube that are like, I'll just YouTube it. I'll learn it from the YouTubes. <laughs> you can learn a little bit and you can probably get a good, like just a modicum of start, but there is nothing like perfecting a skill with a coach.
1: Yeah. That oh man, there have been so many uh, nuggets of gold as I like to call them will that you have dropped. I think I'm gonna have to go and like listen to this whole episode a couple more times and just continue to learn. And I definitely want to bring you back on and do a whole episode. I might have to
0: listen to it so I can learn. I've <laughs> no idea what I just said. It's gonna, gonna be like,
1: like What did I say? Oh I, I blacked out there for a second. I don't, I don't remember. Something about what? Oh gosh. And we're, we're definitely going to do another episode um, just on nutrition for sure. But I'm going to move us on to um, the next part of the show and fire off a couple questions for the fire round. These are questions that I get to ask all of my guests that I get to bring on. Though before we continue with the show, I want to take a little bit of time to talk about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. A lot of people face pressures to change themselves to fit other people's expectations, and the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique and what works for someone else doesn't mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work towards your goals at the pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track with personalized lessons to help you gain confidence and practical knowledge, one-on-one coaching, and a cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noon Weight users finish the program, and more than 60% of users that engage with the program keep the weight off for a year or more. So start building habits for healthier, long-term results. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash believe. Again, that's Noom, N-O-O-M dot slash believe. B-L-E-A-V. Now let's get back to the fire round. Um, first question for you, Will, is do you have a favorite quote or a current quote that you live by?
0: I do. Well, I, you heard the one I live by before, um, which is do hard things. But I do have a favorite quote. I don't know who originated it. What I do remember is that I had this really great uh, drama teacher. Uh, I went to a school called Canterbury High School in Ottawa. um, And I had this incredible uh, teacher. His name was Paul Griffin. And to this day, I still consider him. He doesn't, you know, I don't tell him to his face and I'm sure he doesn't continue. I haven't talked to him in years, but he, you know, really started me down the path that I went. And his quote to me was, Will, you are what you think. And there's, like a lot, there's a lot to unpack in that little expression. But I have kind of lived by that my whole life. At, you know, when I was young, I kind of thought of it as like, you know, you're, whatever you have in your head will, will, will be what you are. But there's also, a, you know, as I've grown, it has a different side to it. So there's the dark side, which is if you are negative about your life, if you are negative about yourself, if you beat yourself up because you're, you think you're a horrible person, you will become that. You will become that depressed, in a lot of ways, not healthy person because you're, you're, you think that that's who you are. If you think you're a criminal, like that you were born to a family of criminals or whatever else, you're probably gonna start living a life of crime. That's just the way it goes. But the other side of that is, is that you can transform yourself just by, by focusing on what you want to be. So if you think that you're an athlete, for example, and you do nothing but repeat in your head, "No, I'm an athlete," chances are you will become an athlete. So you are what you think, and and that that's just to me that's such an important
1: little nugget of awesome. That is truly awesome, and and I love that. Um, I'm I use that every day for myself personally, and and it really is. One thing that I want to add in there, it's you are what you think and you will become whatever it is that you believe that you will become. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll be quick as a heads up. It could be, you know, and, and it comes back to, you know, what we've been talking about, how much of an obsession, how much dedication, all that hard work and time and effort put into it. But if you continue, I mean, I did the same ironically that that is I would, uh, pretty much say that's exactly how I became a world champion in kayaking was I just, I obsessed over that. And I kept thinking like, no, I will become a world champion. You know what I mean? Like it was like not even, not even a question in my mind. And I was just one of these young kids and there's books about all this stuff and whatever. And, and obviously podcasts and videos that we're talking about right now. But when I was, when I was in, you know, in high school, and when I was young, nobody told me like, you know, Think and you shall become anything like that. I was just obsessed. And I was like, there was just nothing in me that was like, oh, maybe it's like, no, I will. I have no idea how long it'll take, but I will. It was just, yeah, I, I just knew that if I just stayed at it. Uh, I mean, honestly, it kind of, I forget how the quote goes, but it's something along the lines of like, you will succeed at anything that you want to succeed at if you never give up. And it's that same kind of thing. Who knows how long the time aspect will take, but with that obsession and that dedication and that belief, yeah, you can do anything.
0: Well, and it goes, it goes so many different ways too, like positive positivity. If I wanted, like I was talking about this with a friend the other day that I I often make goals for myself. Like if I want to be a better person. Well, I look at what it is that why I want to be better at. Like if I want to be, I want to be a better listener. I'm a horrible listener. I talk over people all the time. It's 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 one of my Achilles heels, but I want to be better at it. Well, the only way to if, if the only way to do that is to think about being that. So, okay, so I'm going to just obsess over. It. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a better listener. I'm gonna be a better listener and then focus on that. Okay, I'm listening, I'm listening. <laughs> Might freak people out at first because so you're like, like uh huh. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> but but that's part of it you know like this this little nugget can trickle into all kinds of other things and if you think nothing but negative well i'm incapable of that or i'm i'm just i'm not a good person or i'm not good at listening well you'll keep on being that person until you
1: change what you think yeah so true so true um Will, you talked earlier about, you know, coaching and learning via a coach and how that's so much better than books. And so I'm intrigued with this next question. Do you have a favorite book or a current book that you're reading? Or do you read less because you would rather learn uh, via coaching?
0: Oh, I read a lot. I read a lot. Don't get me wrong. I, and books are books are coaches in their own way, right? Like, so I I do read a lot about running. Um uh, I, and, and, Emily and I have this thing where she sends me like books to read every once in a while. Like there's a uh, dancing mind spirit book Think,
1: that thinking I really body like. dancing. mind. That's
0: the one. Yeah. Um, I love that one. But, um, so I have a lot of favorite books, but I love books that transport me to someplace else. Um, when you have, the kind of way that my brain works, which is to really focus down on things and to, you know, to mix things up in your head, the way my mind does. Um, I really need escapism, if that makes sense. And maybe that led to some of my bad habits, in fact. Um, so I tend to really love books that transport me to different different worlds or to, that to take my brain out of it. So I have a um, really my favorite book of all time right now is a book called the lies of Locke Lamora, mm-hmm. which is an incredible, it's a, it's a, you know, fantasy action type of thing, but it's so incredibly well-written and the narrative is just so beautiful that it takes you into uh, it, it. just, that was, the, that's the kind of book that just transports you to a different place. And that's the kind of book I love. And I don't think I've had a book that's transported me quite that much as that particular book, as far as self learning um, and you know that type of stuff, um, I I don't have a current one. I don't have sort of a, a I don't have that recommendation that the audience wants for the. By the way, you should read <laughs> the Great Guide to
1: Running by Bob. I don't have that. Sorry. I love that. Um, Will what might be what might be a recent lesson that you've learned? Um, And this could be through, you know, either a mistake or through success, but just something that you've learned recently. Uh,
0: I think the biggest one is in the last two years, I learned that nobody, nobody breaks the laws of thermodynamics. There is nobody that can and nobody does. And that applies to to what I do. I deal with a lot of athletes and, and, um, people are trying to lose weight. And then I also deal with athletic nutrition, which is a very different side of things where you're trying to teach an athlete what they need to eat in order to build muscle or to, to get to the weight that they want to, they want to be for a competition. Um, and it's really hard because we've confused we've confused what we eat so much in this modern day. We've we've taken studies that show a fraction of a percentage of improvement. And instead of saying, oh, cool. So if I eat nothing but goji berries, uh, you know, I'll see a fraction of improvement. And instead we've said, oh, this means I should eat nothing but goji berries for the rest of my life with everything else and ignored. And most people, just have lost sight of the reality of how food works which is we are just a machine man and you're either feeding that machine and you're either giving it too much which means that we're you know storing it or you're giving it too little which means you're getting rid of it you know you're having to burn um, your stores in order to maintain and that it it's so simple but it's so elusive to most people and it certainly eluded me my whole life i thought i had a bad metabolism no it really just turned out i was eating too much like this <laughs> it's, it's like oh and i wasn't worried. i wasn't burning anything off so um nobody breaks the laws of thermodynamics that's the it's it's just it's, it's been a mind blowing lesson for me and i thought i understood it you know i thought uh, as a guy who you know took astrophysics and, and was really into science, that I would understand that, but I didn't. I did the same things everybody else did. I went on all protein diet. I went on a vegan diet. I went on uh, no gluten's. I tried everything. All oh, none of. Well, I lose weight when I'm on those, but you know, of course you do because you're not eating as much. Um, that's the laws of thermodynamics. That's the way it works. Um, so all that confusion kind of it it parts the red seas when you start just looking at it really scientifically.
1: And that's, that's the lesson I learned in the last couple of years. It's just changed my life. I love that. And it, I, man, it gets me very intrigued and I'm very excited to bring you back on and talk just about nutrition for sure. Um, one of my favorite questions will that I get to ask everybody is if today was your last day, uh, on earth, And everything that you've done up to now, all of your experiences, all of your races that you've run, all of your time with your loved ones, just everything was to go away with you. And all that you were left with was a piece of paper and a pen. And you could write down three truths, three things that you believe to be true that you would like to share with your friends, your family, your wife, your loved ones, uh, or just future generations. What might those three truths be? Ooh, um, damn. Uh,
0: okay, well, first off, uh, and I truly believe this friendship is my church. And um, I believe in the power of connection and the power of friendships. Um, my grandfather uh, said something really important uh, to me and to my family. Um, he was that your family you love and you're born with them and they make great friends, but you love them because you're born with them, but your friends are the ones you choose for yourself. Um, I love meeting people and I I love people and I love that interconnectivity. And the most important thing to me is is getting to know and getting to be friends with as many people as possible in my life and being, being a friend to them in whatever way I can. Um, so, you know, the addendum to that is I remember turning around at that grandfather's funeral and the hill over his grave was just filled with people. People from all over had come out to watch an ins- to see an insurance salesman be put into his grave. And, and that was a life changing moment for me. It was like, oh, this is the meaning of life. The meaning of life is friendship. Um, so that's the first one is, is don't take that lightly. You know, every opportunity you have to make a friend to get to know somebody wherever you are in the world. If you're traveling, getting to know a local person so that, that make a build a real true friendship. Um, that, that's just a life-changing thing. Uh, two, um, there, is, there is no, there, there may not be a tomorrow. So do whatever you, whatever you really wanted to do, do it in the present. Um, there is no opportunity necessarily to wake up tomorrow and, and well, maybe I'll do it tomorrow is, is a really horrible thing um, to do to yourself because there may there is no tomorrow like tomorrow may or may not actually exist. This is this is your opportunity to do all things that can cause a guy like me to have kind of like spasms because I want to try to do so many things every minute of every day. Um, but find that thing that you really want to do and start applying yourself today because why wait till tomorrow? Um, and last, I think everything is accomplishable with time. It's like uh, forging, uh, forging steel is, is a good analogy. Forging steel, if you watch them make steel in a traditional way, takes time. It's like at first you start out with a lump of iron and then they have to, you know, it's still it with charcoal and then they have to pound it down and then they have to cool it and then they have to put it back in with the charcoal and it has to sit there for days and then they have to pound it down again. That's that's everything. So you can you can create the hardest, toughest substance known to man. You can create a beautiful sword. But the only way to do that is to apply time and pressure. It's like creating a diamond, right? A diamond takes billions of years and tons of pressure in order to create. Well, if you apply that to all of the skills you want, that's how you'll get there. You'll get there by applying time and pressure. If you're unwilling to apply time and pressure, then you, then that's not something you really want. That's not, you'll, you'll never get there. So if that is something that you want, your only way to get it is to apply time and pressure. Except for maybe relationships. Don't try. Don't take that advice. If you're trying to get a girlfriend, do not (laughs) apply. It does not work. Trust me on this one. Just, you know, maybe try flowers.
1: I love that. Will, this has been so amazing. Again, I have gained so much value from your words of wisdom, from your shared experiences that you have shared with us today. Something that I try to do as much as I can is provide value to my guests because I gain so much from these conversations. So is there anything currently, Will, that you are working on that I might be able to help you out with or possibly even my listeners?
0: Uh, big thing that we're working on right now is I made a film uh, just before the pandemic started called Lions of Soy or the Pride, the Lions of Soy Sambu. Um, we're going to be putting that live on the Jackson YouTube channel um, coming up in the next few weeks. We're just waiting for some other big things to pass. Um, and I want to, uh, I want everybody if they get a chance to go see the film. Um, can, I, I can give you the link once it's up. It'll be in the next couple of weeks, uh, if maybe not. Actually, I might just put it up this week. But um, that film is really important to me because we're trying to save a pride of lions um, that are under the threat of being killed because they, they live on a ranch. They live on a working cattle ranch. There's a really easy, sustainable solution to protecting the cattle from the lions, but it takes money. And um, that's what we made the film about um, to help fundraise for that, uh, to create, it's called the Boma Project. project. They create basically a fence around the cattle that keeps the cattle safe it's more complicated than that but um so if you guys uh i'd really appreciate it if everybody you can um goes and watches the film and if you can uh if you've got a little bit of money to give to the boma project it goes directly into the hands of local people trying to protect animals there's no foundation or anything that it goes through um so yeah that that to me that's probably the most important thing i could i I could shout out for
1: that is amazing i definitely i will personally go check it out but i encourage everybody please go check out the video i'm going to actually i will wait to post this uh podcast until the video is live and i will put a link to the video in the show notes below so please try to make it as easy as possible for you guys to check out the film give it a watch uh share it out if you guys also want to help save some lions out there and uh, if you guys have, you know, maybe a couple extra dollars or maybe just skip on a coffee one day, uh, maybe we can all, you know, donate a little bit to Saving a Pride of Lions and, and helping so many just great animals out there to, uh, to keep keep roaming because they're just trying to do what they want to do and yeah man
0: they're just trying to live man and i do want to say thank (laughs) i want to say nick i really want to thank you for inviting me on the show i'm actually i I do actually listen to the podcast like pretty solidly it's one of my running listens and i i I love what you're doing with this i also secretly also love the cbc stylings fellow canadian (laughs) boy to fellow canadian boy i think that that's probably the my favorite part is like the secret like let's it sounds a lot like a nice cbc Video. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I wanted to. I wanted to say that. Like, I'm super, super stoked, and it was awesome talking to you. You and I have always had some of the greatest conversations when we're when we finally get a chance, just the two of us, to hang out and go for a run or that kind of stuff. So, uh I know. totally, we- totally stoked that you get, that you invited me out. It's like secret fanboy love inside.
1: Well, well, thank you. I I truly did uh, gain a lot of value from this conversation, as I always do when we get to talk. And uh, we didn't get to dive into. Man, maybe on our next episode when we do um, nutrition, we'll, we'll maybe we'll talk about running and breathing and some other things like that as well. There's there's a lot of conversations that I think we could have, and uh, you're a very fun guest to to have on the show. So I'm sure we will have you on many times into the future. Uh, for any anybody out there that wants to continue along, learn more about your story, or just continue to see your uh, your personal growth, what might be one of the best ways for someone to either follow along or reach out and connect with you
0: I try to I try to post pretty regularly my journey on at travelbeard.com also if you look up the hashtag project Thor um, all one word that's what we it's the hashtag that my coach and I have been using for the project that I am the project obviously um, the goal is to, to I, as I said to my one of my coaches was I want to look like Thor and he was like I can promise you you'll be sore. but I can't promise you you look like Thor. Um, So we may not ever reach the goal of looking like Chris Hemsworth, but um, at the other, uh, by the other side of it, it's, it's just a great sort of like God of lightning type of thing, working my way through it, trying to, trying to get as uh, fit as I can. So you can check that out there. Um, And then there's links to my, uh, I did do some um, blogging along the way as well. There's a link to my blog on that. So Instagram at the travel beard, that's where to find me. Awesome. Again, reach out anytime. If anybody has questions, I'm always happy. I obviously like to talk. So happy to answer questions if you've got them for me.
1: That's amazing. I'll have all the links to um, all of your websites, your blogs, Instagram, everything as well in the show notes and highly encourage everybody that wants to please reach out. Will is a wealth of knowledge. My final question for you uh, today, Will, is what is your definition of awesome? My
0: definition of awesome is uh, is hitting that special state that you know it well hitting that moment where the miles start to slip by and the wind just your breathing is on point And all of a sudden you've just, you run five kilometers and it's, and it felt like nothing. That's, that's awesome.
1: That is awesome. Again, we'll, this has been just such a phenomenal conversation. It's super fun. I love the wisdom mixed with some humor, some true stories, and just a lot of uh, philosophical ideals as well. I can't wait to bring you back onto the show again into the future. For my listeners out there, I hope you guys got a lot of value because I certainly did. I hope you guys gained some insight and um, for me, I mean, just hearing your story was, was quite heart heartwarming, um, and brought up a lot of emotion and, and yeah, there's just a lot that I was able to, uh, relate to. And so not that cancer is one of them, but just the, the whole idea of being, Please no, don't relate to that. Just yeah. ignore it. Just skip that part. So, you can, you can skip it. I'm, uh, I'm trying to avoid that part, but, but being the chubby kid, uh, and, and trying to turn into an athlete is, is something that, that I kind of also went through as, as, uh, as a child. And so, yeah, lots to relate to. If you guys did get value out of this... As always, I please ask for you guys to share this out with one person, share it out with anybody that you think might need to hear this, whether it be a cancer patient, whether it be uh, somebody that was the chubby kid, uh, whether it be just somebody that needs a little motivation, please share it out with someone that you think might need to hear this conversation, someone that might also gain some value out of it. Uh, I, I highly appreciate you guys doing that, and uh, again, if you guys could Also, please leave a rating and review if you guys haven't done so yet, please do so because that just helps, as Will knows, uh, puts it out and helps gain the algorithm love for us. So please leave us a rating and review um, and that helps us build this collective and community as a whole. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening. I love getting to share these conversations with you guys. I love even more getting to have these conversations with people like you, Will. So thank you for your time and dedication. And I am going to sign us off. So I wish you all a truly awesome day. And again, thank you for your time, Will. I'm Nick Troutman signing off. Cheers. (laughs)